what if we upgraded the architecture on the system and deepened intimacy to ensure that a certain category of customer could literally drive into a station, authenticate and drive out because we know it's good for the money. Good morning, my name is Adairi Kefe and you're listening to The Experience Pod. One of our offerings at the center is a podcast where we invite brilliant and innovative minds to talk about technology and trends in Nigeria. Our topic today is fueling the digital economy. Like they say, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. On this episode, we consider how much this idiom applies to our very own oil and gas downstream sector. We will learn how technology is changing this sector through the lens of Mr. Abayomi Awobuku, the CEO of Enyo Retail and Supply Limited. So I'm welcoming you, Mr. Abayomi Awobuku. How is the oil and gas downstream? How is that changing? Uh, I know that you have said that the downstream oil sector makes five to six billion in revenue annually. We also know that likes of mobile you have invested is a 60% stake to mobile oil Nigeria. So has Owando, a 60% um, sometime in 2016. Uh, Mr. Femi Otodadra has done the same thing, 75% direct and indirect shareholdings in 40 oil. Uh, obviously there are reasons, there are probably other reasons behind it, but why Enyo, why have you decided to take that plunge? What are your inspirations around and and I think our listeners want also want to know with regards to digital evolution, how is that how are you marrying that into oil and gas, as they say. Okay, thank you. And I commend you for this beautiful center. It's certainly a nice experience to be at the experience center. Great, right, thank you. Thank you. Just jumping straight into it. In indeed in Nigeria, downstream is generating five to six billion dollars in revenue and that is everything from the sales of refined products to the importation of refined products. Nigeria is one of the largest markets for the industry in Africa. Uh, We only have 15-16 million cars compared to uh, other countries but we in a sense we consume a lot of fuel. We consume fuel not just for driving, we consume fuel also for domestic Uh use. And so that's what's driving it up. Unfortunately, we do not refine adequately Mm. to meet our demands. Uh, And the narrative in industry for many years has been around that. And so if you cast your mind back as far as you can, all you remember about the downstream is is, is fuel shortages or hanky-panky by players. And also regulators wielding the big stick. And so we just realized a couple of years ago that how is it possible that a five to six billion dollar industry is only known for supply shortages, clamors for deregulation, mm. clamors for margin increases, strikes by tanker drivers. So all the negatives really. The narrative was just really mm. bad. And we thought, well, before the industry dies completely, do we have a window to create a brand that seeks to introduce some positives into this story of the downstream and that's really what Enyo is trying to do. And so we founded Enyo in 2017 um, and our goal was to be the most innovative 
distributor. Oh. Uh, and we put a caveat to that. We wanted that innovation to be technologically driven. And that's the vision of the company. And we started it from day one on a unique operating system. That software was ready before any station was developed. Oh, wow. That's how we actually started. Okay. And the software essentially uh, does a few things for us. It supports our entire supply value chain. It also supports the operation of the point of sale and allows all the points of sale to operate autonomously. So they run like banks. Hmm. We tested it uh, on our first five sites in 2017. Uh, some kinks, but you know, uh, the possibilities were huge. That technology essentially supported our growth to 40 stations in 2018. And we've essentially doubled that in 2019. We're closing the year with close to 85 stations. And we see that as an introduction of the brand, of the value of the brand to the market. Fortunately, the software company and the software is available to the whole industry. So other businesses have started to use it, other competitors. Nobody's using it like we are. Okay because we're one of the developers working with the techies in the company. And so we always have... Customize it to your own. Correct. And, and the reason also is that others are using it as a software to support their business. For us, it's the foundation our business is built on. I like that. And so all the things that we like to do, we start from there. We, you know, we, don't, we don't do it manually and look for... And then try and superimpose yeah. all the software. Yeah. Uh, and so that's that's the entry point. We the question is how is it possible that an industry generating five to six billion dollars a year is perhaps one of the most outdated when it comes to the use of everyday technology? We're not even talking about rocket science stuff. Now. We're talking about everyday technology. I mean, in oil and gas in Nigeria, most businesses only use emails. Nobody is using mobile technology. Nobody is doing anything with payments. Nobody's doing anything with, you know, AI. Nobody's tracking consumer buying patterns and all that. I'm very proud to tell you we are. We we certainly are tracking a lot more than people know that we're tracking. We know to a reasonable extent the buying patterns of individual or unique customers that come. We know per hour sold across. Not more than that. Yeah. Apart from how much sold across, we know per the demography of visitors. So we know when the motorbikes come the most. We know when the premium customers come the most. We've adapted our comms at the stations to the demography that visits the stations. Mm. So you don't go to our stations and see uniform comms at different stations in different areas. We know generally, this, we, we call it the GDP of the area. Sure. So we know yeah. that. And we are doing more. We're collecting preferences when it comes to buying patterns. We're collecting even personal data where mm. we are allowed to mm. and we're using that with permission to develop new products for customers and we've just started. We see field retailing as the platform on which uh, Enyo will build new products. We don't actually see field retailing as our product. We actually see it as the platform on which we will build new products in the retail space mm. for customers. So. Uh, I always say I wouldn't be surprised if in three, four years' time you don't see any of it's just a fields retailer, but you see it as a lifestyle brand because we've collaborated with other lifestyle brands, we've brought our data to the fore, we've used AI and machine language to develop algorithms, 
we understand customer patterns, customer interests, and we're able to support the retail aspirations of other retail brands. Mm. Uh, that's really where we're going. There's a lot of talk about divestments in the industry. Uh, if what you're doing is pure play fuels retailing, then you'll divest. The margins are very little. They're squeezed every day. The value chain is choked. You have three or four bona fide mouths to feed. When you look at the margins available, you have to feed the transporters, feed the marketer, feed the dealer. And I think all those businesses only have 11 naira to share. Yeah. And so what's happened is, for the big businesses who have scale, who were alive when scale mattered mm. in this business, as the business changed and the margins shrunk and innovation became a requirement, they couldn't go. They, they divested. Mm. We are founding this business in an era where innovation is the only way with which the business can grow. And so we, we can't complain about the things others are complaining about. Those things existed mm. when we started and mm. they would continue to worsen. Mm. You know, the margins will continue shrinking. Yeah. So you probably would never hear us say margins are shrinking because for us, that's a, that's a standard in the downstream. And that's the way it is globally. Yeah. Yeah. Downstream businesses don't have huge margins. The only downstream businesses that have other anchors survive. And that's what NU is trying to achieve. Yeah. That's fantastic. We build innovation in our company on three pillars. We believe that innovation needs data. Mm. And we say there's two types of data. There's static data and there's dynamic data. Static data is data you can read about because it's already happened, it's been collected, it's been archived and probably processed. Dynamic data is real-time data. You know, you may have a sense for what the data is telling you, but it's so dynamic, you've got to be careful not to miss the message. Sure. And so we believe that innovation always starts with data. You know, data collection, data analysis, you must know what the challenges are, what the opportunity is, or have mm. a sense that there's something here at least. Mm. The second thing is you must be willing to collaborate. So between yourselves and other organizations, <laughs> you know, you must both be seeking to make something easier or the out outcomes better. And then the third thing is, as you guys collaborate, there must be a desire to transform, to change the value chain, to change the outcomes. A mindset Correct. shift. So we call it a transformational mindset. So for us, that is how we teach innovation. And in the business, in any other moment, we have uh, applications called core systems. Yeah. A core system is a technologically driven, previously manual process, now mobile driven or AI driven. So the team all have targets and core systems. Every team, every lead has a core system target for the year. And so they're always asking themselves when they get their reports or they're doing their jobs with their teams, how can we enable this end-to-end -end process, make it mobile enabled mm. or web enabled mm. and just take it away from this table yeah. and put it somewhere in the cloud and everybody can access it and that sort of thing. And that's really beginning to drive almost everything from, from things that are very mundane like identity management like shift management of the stations we have a core system that drives shift management something that we've developed and it's it's mobile enabled we have a station profitability analysis which we use to harvest stations which is gps it works with google maps mm -hmm. and we have a gps app and it counts traffic and we have algorithms and AI that tell us the percentage of cars that would enter a station and depending on the area in the country. 
we apply a minimum purchase per, cost, per customer into it, a customer value. Yeah. And that pops out a PL even before we get the station, and it also drives the rent. So when we negotiate with the landlord, we generally know what we want to pay for the station. Data. Data is uh, king. So those core yeah. systems are beginning to, some of them are very mature. STP mm. is very mature. We have TAMS, Time and Attendance Management, which is the identity management for the attendance. Yeah. So we also use uh, a few things to deploy attendance within their area of comfort. What okay. I mean by that is, if you live in Leggy, yeah. as an attendant or a station employee, and you work at any of our Leggy stations, depend on the issues we're having at that station, and those issues are driven by another core system called POSIP, which is Point of Sale Inspection Platform, yeah. we could deploy you to support that team using your leader proficiency. So if you are generally good with cash management and we're having shortages, you will just get a text to report somewhere else within your geography because we don't want you yeah, to Yeah, And when you get to the station, you know, you would be told exactly why you were there and how long you were there for. And the time system, the time attendance management will accept you because we've programmed it You're to do so. Uh, you know, so there are quite a few other interesting systems. Some are all over the place. I get the sense sometimes that the team is trying to achieve this, but we know it's not. And that's also the interesting thing about innovation is we're very comfortable experimenting. Absolutely. Sometimes yeah. we experiment and it's not working. We keep yeah. going. You keep at it. We keep yeah. at it. Yeah. We know what we're trying to achieve mm. and we know that we're not there yet. But mm. we keep asking ourselves, why hasn't, haven't we arrived mm. at the destination? Mm. And sometimes mm. we find that it's just ahead of its time. There's mm. nothing wrong with the reasoning. Yeah. Yeah. It's just ahead of its time. Yeah. My other question would be on automated refueling machines. Why are we adverse to it? You know, how come Enyo hasn't... Mm. Um, looked into that space is that because of I know you you say you do a lot of trend analysis type of people who are coming to your station you know what's your thinking around it I think the future is very looks very promising for some of those things on the yeah. forecourt some of the things that we've always struggled with is we probably spend a million dollars a year evacuating our cash makes absolutely no sense mm. And so we've always asked ourselves, how do we uh, do better with that process? Mm. And the answer really is to go as cashless as possible. Mm. However, locally, there's an infrastructure deficit uh, supporting payments. So I got a call yesterday at one of our major sites, you know, with the name of the bank, but all the ATMs, went, all the PRSs went down. Mm. It's just mundane, you know, collecting money after a service has been delivered should never be a problem. Sure. That that, sure. that that one should work. <laughs> yeah. And so customers are irritated, yeah. understandably so. Yeah. We are dumbfounded, yeah. understandably so. And there's nobody able to give you a real answer. Answer. Some people blame the telco, some blame the aggregator, some blame yeah. the bank, yeah. you know, it's a mess. And so we are in the final stages of piloting a solution that we hope will take away that that bottleneck okay. mm. and the way that we see it is could we know you well enough mm. to allow you buy fuel and pay whenever you like because that's the real question mm. you know there are other ideas that we had you know should we change the architecture of the station and ensure that everybody uh, goes to pay before they fill up and I thought I wouldn't like that should we change the architecture and ensure that you pay at the gate Again, it doesn't make for easy 
entry and exit. Yeah. But what if we upgraded the architecture on the system and deepened intimacy to ensure that a certain category of customer could literally drive into a station, authenticate and drive out because we know it's good for the money. And what are we talking about? For individual passenger motor cars, we're talking about a full tank. If you drove an SUV, it's 12,000 naira. And if you travel the distance I travel and I live in Lekki, mm. you probably do that four times a month. Mm. So we're talking 50,000 naira. So the question is, are you worth 50,000 naira credit? You've just driven into the station with your uh, Passat or your Toyota Corolla. Mm. Certainly. Mm. How do we make the most of that worth? How do mm. we, I mean, and globally businesses run on credit. Why are we, we're not afraid to give credit to the right people mm. in exchange for ease. And mm. certainly, depending on when they want to pay, they should be ready to pay for the credit too. Sure, sure. And pay for sure. the convenience. Yeah. And so I think I can say here that we are in uh, the final stages of piloting something like that. Uh, our delay has been because there's some regulators, especially in the financial services industry, mm. that have to be comfortable uh, with the method that we are proposing that this is done. Mm. It will be tied to BVN, tied to the credit bureau, and once you authenticate at the pump, you can serve yourself or be served. Sure. But what's important is that we want to deepen the ease with which you enter the forecourt, get oh, the yeah. service and leave. And so. In terms of automated fuel machines, that's the way we're thinking about it. Mm. There are other opportunities too for fleet management, mm. you know, household fleets. Yeah. You have three or four cars, you should be able to enjoy a similar service, mm. you know, even if you're not the one driving, mm. without compromising security, without losing money, mm. and also getting some assurance that what you were told was bought is exactly what was bought. So there's household fleet, then there's commercial fleet, businesses that have cars and also want some assurance in how those cars are filled uh, and also want some warranties. If there's yeah. any problem with the field, where did you feel exactly what yeah. happened? Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. And how can we tie that all the way to car maintenance? Mm. Because at the end of the day, one of the drivers for maintenance is use mm. and fuel gives you data on use mm. because cars have, there's a relationship between fuel consumed and your dometer reading. Mm. So that's where we are. Mm. We are we're in the final stage of a pilot. We think it's going to be revolutionary. We, the market will receive yeah. it very well. Yeah. Uh, and we also have enough data to know where to pilot first. But a couple of years ago, one of the marketers had tried self-service uh, in Lecky, and I was involved in that, mm. and it failed. And the reason it failed was because we had assumed that we could roll out self-service without thinking about the other stakeholders like the attendants. One of the things that we're doing now is we're not looking to lay off attendants, we're looking to retrain them for other things. And so all the key stakeholders involved in fuels retailing today are being thought about in this new, you know, idea in this new yes. So that's how we think about it. So I, I hope that we can we can come up with something shortly and then keep keep improving it. That's fantastic. I believe what customers are looking for is more convenience. Obviously, trust too is the big thing for us here. And um, you've mentioned something about being able to drive into a station, knowing that your phone is also is guaranteed, and you can leave ASAP. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that, yes, and yes. Uh, we'll 
Okay. Okay. So the other thing I wanted to mention um, is the on-demand delivery uh, diesel service. How does that work? And how does that work vis-a-vis your bricks and mortar? And I know you do have a new, uh, what do I call it? The lounge or the, uh, it's called Relax. Yes, we do. Yes. (laughs) So how... Well, it seems to be some conflict between. No, no, no. It's actually not competition. D two D is is very, it's a very very basic service. Oh. It's actually not something that we are pushing. It's a product the market asked for, which okay. is essentially delivering quality fuels to the house. Oh. And it's online because for us, it's the sort of thing that should be self service. You know, it's, oh. we don't see any reason why we should staff it up much more than a support person oh. or two. Oh. And I think it's doing well. It's in the areas where the stations are. Customers are confident that that brand will deliver mm. when you order. Mm. We get a few thousand hits a day, mm. you know, um, with all the reversals and, mm. you know, it's just a manic platform, but it works. Mm. There's a payment gateway. We've had numerous issues with the payment gateway, different times. People have tried to hack into it, mm. all sorts of things, but that works. We are expanding that end of September to uh, include cooking gas. Yeah. So what we've done is that we develop an app that allows you to order for cooking gas at home and we'll deliver to you and the cylinder is free. So we're not selling the bottles and all our bottles are brand new. And the bottles are tracked. We, we, we hope you only need the gas, so use what you need yeah. and leave the bottle. Okay. And when you're ready for it to be picked up, you'll we'll we'll get back on the app, we'll come and pick it up. We're creating more jobs would for you, people. Would you take back to your site or yes. you so we'll take we'll take back to a site. Okay. We'll have different we'll have hubs, different hubs okay. close to different spokes. So depending on where you live. Okay. It could be a delivery man from a hub or the spoke that okay. pick up from you. Okay. But if you're reordering, they'll come with a, a, another bottle. Okay, and just replace. And just, and just swap. Yeah. And all the bottles are ours. And I think the real value here is that we are of the school of thought that you don't need to buy a bottle to buy gas. A lot of people already own their bottles, that's fine. But we don't think that you automatically need to, you don't need to buy a car to get to point from H, point A to B. All you yeah. need is to be transported. Yeah. So all you need here is gas. And the board agrees with that, and we're making the investment. And it also allows us to control quality of the bottles, control quality of the product, and also quantity. So that's what we're doing. So the DTD platform gets upgraded. Also, uh, on that platform will be VCon, which is our vehicle maintenance. Okay. And one of the things that we are going to experiment is actually a car pickup. So if you order VCon and you're registered, we're happy and we have got insurance to get your car picked up from wherever it is you are, depending on what the car needs and drop it back for you or you can pick it up. And hopefully we will be able to sign on a, a car hire service and we could have given you a replacement car. But that's been that's proven to be very difficult because a lot of the car hire services don't render that service. The way they render it is that their driver must drive you. And we thought it'd be nicer if depending on the car you drop should be optional. Correct. Yes. Depending on the car you've dropped off, yeah. you could give something similar. So we're not as dropping off a Range Rover when you gave us a Toyota Corolla or vice versa. If you drop a Corolla, get a Corolla, that sort of thing. So yeah. we're working on that. So all that we're calling a unified sales platform. And we've collected a lot of customer data. You know, at the moment, nothing personal, but we've collected personal data, customer data from the stations. I think we have over 200,000, uh, you know, unique people on our database who we don't know by name, but we know they're buying pack. Wow. And what we're trying to do now is, uh, with our loyalty program, get the permission 
to better you know know who they are within the limits of their comfort yeah. you know and then that allows us to render services to them with a higher level of intimacy so if we know you you patronized us four times a month for the last one year honestly we're very happy for you to pay when you're happy or when you get paid from work about from your fuel or your gas or your diesel at home or you accumulate points and then absolutely swap it you know? for something and so that's really where we're going with that and hopefully as we collect that data and we know you and we're extending credit to you etc we can say to your mobile operator we know this person you can you can trust us and we can jointly give you a better bundle of services or say to your food vendor or say to your electricity vendor whatever it is because we know who you are so that's really where we're going with with those platforms yeah that's fantastic fantastic we will uh, continue to track progress and um, I think you're definitely on the right track. So speaking about predictions, mm -hmm. what would you say, what was the last prediction you got wrong? In the, it doesn't have to be. No, it's interesting. <laughs> and we talk about this all the time. The last prediction we got very wrong mm. was that the government would regulate downstream fuels prices. We got that very wrong because that's mm. not been deregulated. Mm. And we based that on uh, and the premise that the country could ill afford uh, to continue to subsidize, uh, it still cannot. We thought that the governors will push back, they did. We thought that the federal government will succumb, it did not. Mm. And we thought that Nigerians will see that the funds or the resources expended on the downstream uh, over the years had been largely injurious to the development of the country and I suspect Nigerians recognize that but I, it, it hasn't changed anything so that prediction and, and we modeled our business in, in a certain manner because of that prediction uh, and that, that we, we, we self-fight in our faces on, on that one so uh, my hands are up on that one yes okay. we got that one wrong fair enough fair enough uh, what's one view you seem to find um, very few people agree on? Well, w one view that I find a lot of people agree on, disagree on, is, yes, that, agree on. is that we will be a first world country in our lifetime. Hmm. Uh, I find that a lot of people don't appreciate the length of time it takes to develop uh, a society or community and they base a lot of their expectations on illogical assumptions. Uh, and so my conclusion is that we will see flashes of improvement in different quantities to different degrees right across the economy and the society. But I'm 40 years old and 41 in a few uh, days. Days? Seven days? <laughs> I doubt that in 40 years time that we would be as developed as we can even articulate today. You know, that we would have a functioning transport system across the country, we would have a blanket of electricity across the country, we would have subways and functioning waterways and, and all that would work like it works in a lot of countries we holiday in. Mm. I, I doubt it. I think what we would see is we would see progress in snatches and glimpses in different parts of the country and we will still see huge inequality and we will still be as aspirational as we are today but if we're all alive 
and we kept our records probably we would know that yes this development is a lot tougher than we assumed it would be so alaska mm -hmm. our chief economist in pwc and says he would like to know um, more about ventures beyond Lagos environment. Um, can you share with us what NUA is currently doing in that regard? And what does the downstream market look like in those environments other than Lagos? We're fortunate. We are in 17 states. So we're in Lagos, we are in Ogun or your state. We're now in Ondo state. We are in Kogi, we are in Anambra. We're in Enugu, we are in Port Harcourt, we're in Abuja, uh, Kano, Kaduna, uh, we're in Calabar as well, just opened Calabar. We are really a national brand. Mm. And what that has done for us is we are collecting data right across. Uh, you know, and it's very interesting uh, buying patterns. So I'll give you a good example. I could almost tell you to a degree of accuracy when the rains are bad in the east because you would see that for a few hours in a day there's almost no sale and so i would look at it and say provided the equipment is up and i can tell from my system that equipment was up and when the station opened and i can also ping the equipment real time and i can tell you to a level of accuracy when the equipment went down if there was no sale and all of a sudden the sale picked up later in the day that there was a condition that affected everybody so it's either the road was shot or there was a weather induced that sort of thing and we see the weather patterns affect the stations in different parts of the country differently in lagos you if there's really heavy rain you get a 30 percent drop but you will get sales in the east you won't in the East, generally your sales would drop to about 80-90%. Oh, wow. Yes, they're actually a lot more sensitive to heavy rain than negotiations are, mm -hmm. for example. Also, we have different systems tracking the sales of our competitors. So we track, every station has three competitor groups. One is NNPC and a group of its own. Second is a major. Total, OVH, mobile, etc. And the other is, a, is an independent. Mm. So PC1, PC2, PC3. Mm. And we are also able to a large extent to track their own traffic. And we see that some of these disruptions, whether weather or ceremony or festival, mm. affect us all. We only know how much it affects us, but we know it affects everybody else. And so we see that in the downstream across the country, it's not a homogeneous market. There are trends, there are behaviors in different parts of the country that are not consistent. So during fasting, for example, during the Muslim fasting, we see a different behavior in the north. We see a trend in the south as similar, but it's not as acute. In the south, especially in Lagos and Ogun, the churches affect Yes, they affect sales. One on Sundays, then also once a month and once every quarter. The big churches, the redeemed and co, throw the numbers all over the place. You know, it's always very interesting to see how behavior changes. As we're growing our cooking gas, we're also seeing interesting data, uh, uh, cooking patterns. We used to say that a family of four or six will consume 
a 12 and a half kg bottle of gas once every six weeks. Well, other things affected too, you know, the age of the family mm. uh, generally, and also the season, and also interestingly, the ethnicity. So we find that some ethnic groups cook a lot, some do not. So a family of six in Lekki would go through their 12 and a half actually in two months, mm. averagely, and on the mainland in three weeks because they're boiling their water. You understand? So Data, some of, some of that is so amazing. Yeah, so we, and we're still trying to better understand how to collect that data without any biases. And, yeah, and then mine it, yes. obviously, for your own purpose. Yes. You know. so, yeah, so that's, that's amazing. Things, yes. That's amazing. I'm sure Andrew will be happy to, to, <laughs> to hear that. So I'm turning tables now, and um, like I say, disruption is interrelated. So what's one perspective you would like to get from our next guest? Well, I think for me, I'm going to stay consistent with the topic and I hope he or she can tell us how their business or whatever they're involved in is thinking about changes, whether induced by them or induced by the market, coming into their space and how they're using mobile technology, cloud computing, uh, machine language, artificial intelligence to ensure the outcomes are positive, not just for their business, but for their industry. I think I'll be interested to know how other people in other industries, how they are thinking about those changes and how they are preparing themselves for those in the inevitable changes in, in their industry. I think I'd like to know that. Okay. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for listening.